right. Welcome, everybody, to this week in Mormons international edition and expanded edition. Ooh. Welcome. We have uh, another guest host amongst the, the, the older two guest hosts, Danny Ferreira and myself, Daniel Yanez. And we have with us Georgia Travers uh, from England. Georgia, you want to say hi, introduce yourself to the Twim audience? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on the podcast. So as Daniel said, my name is Georgia Travers. I am from England. So we've got two South Americans and, and one European. On oh, we, we couldn't tell by the accent. We, we just couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Where is yeah. she from? She's from Texas, probably. Yeah, uh, I'm actually from Australia. No, I'm from England. I'm from just north of London. Uh, it's a place called Hertfordshire, if you've heard of it. And I've lived here most of my life, with the exception of one year where I lived in Australia. So my husband's Australian, so we lived out there, got married over there, and then we came back here. That's really nice. We're covering so many accents and time zones and, and names. And I'm glad you said Hertfordshire. When I moved here, it took me a week or so to figure out that that was the pronunciation. I think most people in the U.S. or elsewhere would say Hertfordshire, right, Danny? For Shire, yes, yeah. like the Shire from from the Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Hertfordshire is is the official way to say it. Hot okay, food. I'm sure our U.S. Yeah. audience is loving this. By the way, uh, something I noticed when I lived there is that uh, they have a a big fascination with all things UK. Well, not everybody, but most people. Like, and uh, even when I was moving here, when when I told people, yeah, I'm moving to just outside of London, et cetera. Most people were like, oh, I'm so jealous. I, I dream of living there, et cetera. I'm like, okay. okay. Uh, yeah. So I, I hope our U.S. Uh, listeners are loving your accent, Jordan. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. I was I was in London yesterday, and with it being August and the summer in the U.K., it's, it's quite touristy in London. And I was just thinking how much I dislike London. <laughs> living living about 20 minutes away from London how much I don't like it whereas everyone else travels to to see London and how much they love it but I just see it a lot of litter and, and a big city and I much prefer the countryside and you know or even going to the beach or being in the mountains I think yeah. we, we get to appreciate the things we've got when one once we're far away from them or once we lose them in a way so I think it's just interesting to see that you're quite opposite to most people in terms of visiting London and enjoying the city as a city, like, I don't know, New York City. It, it's like three hours away from where I am right now. And it's crowded, packed of people every day during summer. And it's just crazy with, I don't know, 90 degrees Fahrenheit or 30 something Celsius. Uh, but still, it's packed of people and people just walking and just visiting shops, <laughs> right? So it's sometimes surprising annoying maybe but it's the way humans are and and we love the things that we don't have at home or as people say the grass is greener in in our neighbor's right yeah uh, yard so sometimes it's just we just desire the things that we don't usually have it's like a, it's like a paradox like the, the tourist paradox you know locals see the you know how the sausage is made there well the tourist just goes to the to there like I, I went to barcelona once and in in the summer and it was not a mistake. It was nice, but it was so packed. And I'm pretty sure the locals hated all of us for being there, <laughs> littering, sure. making noise and, and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, it's great to have you, Georgia. And we're going to spend want to spend some, some time doing like a, a get to know Georgia a, a bit more. And then we're going to jump into articles of news later on with the three of us. So we'll see how that goes. We're trying this new kind of hybrid 
uh, light interview and uh, articles of news format with the international uh, edition of TWIM. So, um, Georgia, uh, can, I, can I ask you something? I, I, what called my attention is that you mentioned that your husband is Australian and then you lived there for a year. Mm. Tell us a little bit about it. I think it's just interesting to hear the story. Yeah, it's it is quite a, a funny story. We only um, we met each other really by chance. I had been a member of the church for about a year. I was twenty one. I joined the church when I was twenty, and I'd agreed to go along with the missionaries to help them teach uh, someone who was learning about the gospel. And my husband was on exchange that day, and he was one of the missionaries who was teaching this person. And so I, I turned up and I met him, and um, that's how we met. So then he went home from his mission a few months later. He got back in contact with me, and things just escalated really quickly. Uh, we decided that we needed to see each other again. So I went out to Australia, and it, everything fell into place, decided to move there, and we got married, and then we decided to move back to the UK. So it was, it was a cool story because – there were lots of things that couldn't, you know, lots of things that couldn't have happened and we wouldn't have met, but we did meet. Um, and I wasn't even meant to be in that area because I had applied to a different university, uh, Durham University. And then I ended up not going to Durham. I ended up going to Bristol University instead. And then that's where I met him. So, um, yeah, lots of things just fell into place for us to meet, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we did meet. We've got three children now. We've got a three-year-old and twins who are seven months old. So life is twins. very busy. I'm on maternity leave for a year. Yeah. Oh, that sounds nice. I'm sure some of our listeners outside of the UK yes. <laughs> like, wow, in your maternity but that, That's a great of a story and, and made me think of a lot of uh, instances in which, you know, those little decisions, right? That that that, lead, that that are unexpected. I, I know your story, Danny, as well, with your with your uh, wife. You know, you know, like I think we, we to, can all. To, I, I wanted to mention something that I mean I've heard this before, but many people would say that uh, being a member of the church puts you in a place where it's, it's a very small pond, right? a, a very small uh, space where you get to meet people. But when I hear the stories, I mean, even your story, Danny, and my story, and Georgia's story, I think it's all opposite, right? It's it's not a small pond. It's is being a member. All my perception is that it opens more opportunities to get to know more people, and I think cool people, right? That that gets to be part of our lives, and then uh, for me, it's it's just another yeah. way of seeing uh, how fantastic is is just. Uh, being active in the church because most of the time these stories happen while we're serving or while we're doing things in the yeah. church, right? That's part of this so community, it's, it's, you know. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's just nice and interesting to to see it and 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 how these things uh, pile up into what we are today and and how our lives change because of them, right? So yeah. And one of the reasons why I was really interested in inviting Georgia to, to join us is that, um, well, Georgia, you are a convert to the church, right? Danny and I, Mom. we were sons of converts, uh, whereas you in your early adulthood uh, made this, this big decision. But also there's, maybe you can tell us a bit later, you did share with me before that you have some pioneer connections 
as well, which for a convert might be kind of an interesting kind of two, two data points that usually don't go together. So can you tell us a bit more about, I don't know, how you get, got to know the church and maybe all those? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love talking about this kind of stuff. So I'm glad that I've got a forum <laughs> to do so. And if you have any questions, just jump right in and ask me if I'm not being clear at any point. I've always been interested in religion always. So I didn't grow up in a religious household at all. I never learned about God. I never learned about, um, you know, faith-based things. It was just, there were, there was no faith. There was, we didn't have that narrative at home, but somehow I remember even from the age of five or six, I always believed in something bigger. I always believed in God and I would talk to him, even though I'd never learned about him, which is funny. I guess I was just born with that gift of, of that knowledge of, of yeah. a heavenly father yeah. or in some entity. And then it was it was when I was at university. I mean, there's a huge long story. I'd be here for hours if I were to tell you the the whole story. Um, I was at university and I think university is a time for a lot of people where they sort of find themselves because they've left home. They're asking lots of big questions about what they actually believe. And for me, uh, I was studying physics, so um, you know, a wonderful subject to study mm -hmm. where you're learning about the cosmos and and all sorts of things, and you know, quantum physics and and all the rest of it. Really, really it's deep one that stuff. seems so fun until you start studying it. I guess and gets really tough. <laughs> so uh, you know what I say? <laughs> I, I say to anyone: the more you study physics, the less you understand. Genuinely, <laughs> you know, um, it's one of those really mind blowing. Um, areas yeah. to to study and, and to learn about. So I was studying physics. I was thinking about really deep questions about, about the universe, about why we were here. And actually looking back on journals in, in the July before the September that I'm about to talk about. So two months before big changes happened in my life, I'd actually written in a journal, a prayer, and it was a prayer to find the right place for me, to find the right church, to find the right a uh, place where my views would would sort of marry up with with a gospel. So then it came to a September and it was my second year of university. I was living in this big house with, there were 10 other people. So there were 11 of us in total. And my friend came downstairs um, at three o'clock in the morning. And like university students do, we were all awake. We were chatting. We were just, you know, not thinking about the fact that we needed to wake up in the morning. And he came downstairs and he'd been unpacking his bag from home. And he said, hey, I got given this leaflet on the street. Does anybody want it? And it was a, a pamphlet, a um, one of those church produced ones. I think it was the restoration. They don't, hmm. I don't know if they still use them or maybe they. I remember those would have been the one I used back in my day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's got a, a picture of Jesus Christ on the front. I remember that. And I turned it over and it said mormon.org. So I just in that moment, three o'clock in the morning, went on mormon.org. And the first thing which came up was that you could request missionaries to come to your house. So I thought, well, go on then. Why not? I'm interested in, and at this point I was interested in learning about all religions. I wasn't interested in, in joining from that, you know, that point. And so I put my details in, didn't think anything about it, went to bed, woke up the next day. And then literally a couple of hours later, we got a knock on the door 
and there were two missionaries there. And wow. first, they were yeah, faster than Amazon. They yeah. faster than Amazon. They were efficient. Um, they and they thought that it was a, a prank, a hoax, because there were eleven of us university students, and we were all laughing at the fact that they had turned up so quickly. So they nearly left and went away. Um, but I think I I said no, you know, come in. Um, <laughs> come and come and talk to us so they did and they attempted to teach a lesson but I just kept bombarding them with a thousand questions you know why can I not call you by your first name why are you wearing suits you know I was quite argumentative in the early days um but I really felt something Uh, I don't I don't know what it was that I felt um I, I didn't know what it was at the time but it it was a draw and a pull that made me want to invite them to come back again so Hmm. They did, and I'd say for the first Sorry, six- quick question. So on that first lesson, the eleven of you were there, not just you, also your classmates, or yeah, there, they there were ten of us. Oh, I imagine that lesson. <laughs> yeah, no, there were, there were ten of us, so wow, ten people listened in, and then the second time they came back, it was you know five or six people, and then eventually it was just my friend and I, and mm. then eventually just me. Um, and for the first, yeah, couple of weeks, I was pretty argumentative. I wouldn't let them get through a lesson. I just wanted to talk about religion because I found it interesting. I was not in a frame to join any sort of church. But then the more that I learned about it, the more that I realized that it it was very much what I already believed. And it sounds cliche, but it it felt like I was remembering what I'd mm. believed before rather than learning something new. You found it, yeah, it was it was the first time in my life where I I felt like everything finally made sense. So within about three months, I was just fully all in and wanted to be baptized and haven't looked back. Um, yeah, it's coming up for my 10-year anniversary of my baptism. Oh, wow. Wow. When, when is that? Is it next uh, year, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's coming up next year, so it's been nine That's years. So nice. Well, it's a great story, and and it's uh, it's always I'd like to hear how people come to to become a part of this community, and from a from a faith standpoint, how those conversion stories uh, play out, and it's impossible to deny kind of something up there, kind of uh, putting things together until they, they happen. So you did go to Mormon that from the Mormon days, mm-hmm. uh, Mormon that yeah. yeah. Back in my day, I remember teaching at the MTC in late 2000, the late 2000s, 2008, 2009, when Mormon.org was just ramping up and kind of getting there and training missionaries from the MTC to to chat, right? It was very early, though. We were getting much better at that. And now it's commandtochrist.org, I think, the, the new one. Yeah, everything feels kind of more Christ-focused, which I think is good. I think I, as an outsider, I didn't quite realize what it, what it was at first and i think that's a lot more obvious to the outsider now or at least i hope it is yeah well that's great thanks and and uh it, for me it's a delight to hear more of these little details i've heard parts of it probably because full disclosure george and i go to the same ward here i also live in Hertfordshire. i hope i said it right <laughs> so uh, that's how we know each other but but yeah it's the first time that Dan- danny ferreira in Troy, New York, and Georgia meet. So, uh, twin bringing the world together. So, thanks for so, that. And what, thanks for that. Yeah. yeah. And one last question from me, Georgia, and I don't know, Dan, if you have any, but uh, what was something that, that surprised you about the church once you joined? Because it sounds like from a doctrinal, from a belief standpoint, you, you kind of clicked straight away. But were there like maybe some more cultural quirks or, or, or things yeah. that, that maybe not at the beginning, but throughout these almost 10 years that you've seen? 
as a as a convert to the church, they were like, "Oh well, that's interesting," or wasn't expecting that. And oh, thousands. <laughs> Thousands of things. <laughs> you know, I I have a very clear memory of my first Sunday in at church when I came as um, an investigator. I suppose we don't really mm-hmm. use that term anymore. But as someone who was looking into the church, I remember thinking, "Why on earth are they drinking water instead of wine?" I just could not get over that. It just it made me laugh. I thought that the um, the sacrament prayers, I thought they were pre-recorded because it came from a different microphone and I couldn't right. work it because they were kneeling. I couldn't work out where the sound was coming from. Yeah. So I thought that it was a pre-recording. There were, there were so many things. I, I still to this day can't work out why we put an initial, you know, um, Russell M. Nelson. Why do, why do we not just call him Russell, Russell Nelson? Oh, that's you know. one of my pet peeves. Yeah. Yeah, me as well. I, I never knew that about you, Daniel, that it yeah, frustrates you as well. Yeah, because how Deliberately, many... sometimes, even from the pulpit, I refer to some of the apostles just by the name and surname to normalize that that's their name, that the, the, the middle one. Unless they made it really express, like, for example, M. Russell Ballard, it seems like really yeah. deliberate that they want to go by Russell, mm-hmm. right? But, but yeah, even now I try to do that and I hope people don't hate me for that. No, <laughs> I mean... I'm glad to have found someone on the same wavelength as me. I've never, I've never found anyone who gets as annoyed by it as I do. But yeah, let's just normalize. You know, David Bednar um, yeah. is his yeah. name. Yeah. We don't have to put the what is it, David A. Bednar? Well, in, in South America, we have an, um, an even more complex thing because we have two last names. Yeah. So we we should be using both, right? So. Yeah, and we never use initials. Like in the U.S., at least, I found that initials, even outside the church, sometimes are used more. Sometimes people merge their two initials to, and that becomes their name, like TJ something, right? Mm. TJ. But, uh, but yeah, in Chile, nobody does that. So, or in the rest of Latin America. So sometimes when general authorities from that region are called, and then you see in the Leahona kind of the the name with the middle initial that we've never used in Spanish feels like oh okay it's fallen into the pattern <laughs> but I've noticed a few that don't do it I guess deliberately they say no my name is this and that I can't remember any particular names maybe Patrick or Kieran. listeners maybe you can go and check uh, the the magazine and, and see who is yeah using there's, there's a, a um, Elder Kieran so he gave a talk at conference recently mm-hmm. and the he's, UK. he's from the uk and yeah i don't think he has an initial but maybe he doesn't have a middle name but maybe Kieran is one yeah i've given a few a few uh, priesthood blessings here where i asked like what's the full name and quite a few here they say that like, no middle name so it makes it easier for me that, that's good and then i run into other people from well from spain from portugal sometimes that there's a lot of names <laughs> <laughs> But great. Uh, well, George, it's a pleasure to have you here. Danny, I don't know if you have any questions for Georgia before we shift to articles of news. Well, I have many, but I, I don't think uh-huh. they're, they're right now the best questions to be made. I'm just, again, happy to to get to know you a little bit. And, and thanks for sharing your, your story. I mean, yeah. sometimes we take these things for granted, but even... Danny in UK and myself being members of the church our whole lives have our own conversion stories. So I think it's it's important to recognize the fact that we all have a conversion process and sometimes we have a reconversion process in time. And it's it's relevant and and <clears throat> critical to to hear from others because that in a way uh, strengthens our own experience and and makes us think about the importance of having our own testimony 
in a time where we've bombarded with so many bits of information and 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 friends that are for whatever reason leaving the church or 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 people that are becoming critical of our beliefs and it's just mm-hmm. i think a good way yeah. to remember what draws in the first place to the church and why we're uh living this life and and the way we we're, we're understanding uh why things happen and and the purpose of our life yeah i don't and know I that I it's always also also helpful to have a window into people's experiences that are just different from ours right that's the whole point of international twin right if we have any listeners as well that you know any, any anything that we're sharing resonates or makes you think oh i would love to 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 also share my story or something like that you have contact at thisweekinmormons.com i always get it wrong uh, but um, feel free to reach out and we would love to have a bit more of a community of international uh, people that want to be involved also invite you to subscribe to patreon to get the extra content that we'll get after this episode and uh yeah hopefully it won't be or last time here it won't be last the last time for georgia either and yeah we're keen to hear those international stories i think everybody wins when we hear uh more uh, diverse and and, and different uh, perspectives on not just the gospel, but also being part of this church community, being part of Mormondom, right? All inclusive of those that are with us, that are may, may have stepped out of the church, but still feel culturally connected to us. Uh, it's um, it's an important conversation to keep going and to keep the flame um, alive. So let's go great. to the news. Let's jump to the news then. Um, Georgia, do you want to kick us off? Maybe one of uh, one of the news articles of your choice. Yeah, absolutely. So this week is the first week of August and it's the week where the new Young Women General Presidency have begun their service. So we've got uh, a new Young Women President named Emily Bell Freeman, along with her two counsellors. Yeah, that's really nice. It's like the, and we were talking about this before, August 1st is like the the start of the tax year, well, the the church year, so to speak, because all of the changes, you know, new mission precedents happen in July, I think. Uh, Area shifts usually start in in, in August because uh, general authorities tend to take their annual leave, their break in July. And yeah, a lot of things kick off now and that that is uh th- that's including of this new presidency even i think i saw the the last liahona and uh, i was expecting to see this new presidency there but it was still the old one because they were um in office until you know this week so yeah uh, any, any thoughts on that I, I think uh danny you were mentioning that that you you, you had some thoughts on this i mean I love this new presidency. I think it's quite diverse. That uh, they've been, uh, at least the president has been quite active in in social media. I understand she has a a YouTube channel, and and I've seen her in Instagram, where I get to see some things every now and then. And I think it's just great that they're so active and they're like welcoming and inclusive. And I think it's the it's the biggest challenge of the church today. You know, like making everyone feeling they're all connected in a worldwide church uh, from being a very local church to a church that uh, invites people from all over the world. It's just sometimes challenging to, to make people feel they belong. Also this in this presidency, the second counselor, Sister Spanos, is from Argentina, 
which yeah. is another interesting characteristic of this new presidency, is that uh, we've got people that are not necessarily from Utah. Yeah. And we've seen this happening more frequently, right? And yeah, yeah. I think I, the last few years I, I, have quite a few international ones or yes. and, and, or, or people from other from other states in the US or, the or from other yeah. places. Or yes. ethnic backgrounds as well. I, I, I get again I get the the whole idea behind it because it's just simpler, you know, to, to have people from Utah serving in mm-hmm. uh, a presidency. But when you have people from different places, as we've highlighted before it brings diversity, it brings new ideas, uh, different perspectives and, and different mm-hmm. life experiences, which of course nourishes the the, the, the whole decision-making. Uh, fr- from my perspective as, as, as a PhD student, I mean, diversity has been tested and proven to, to be uh, a, a huge uh, boost in terms of, uh, yeah. of, 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 decision making and 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 mental processes so i think it's just great to have people from different backgrounds yeah i don't know then if you knew the sister from being in the same church area before i I seem to recall that her husband might have been like an area 70 or something like that because the surname rings familiar but i'm not sure uh to, to be honest but but it's great to see her i and i don't know what thoughts you have georgia on this but i do remember um from from the kind of non-white, non-kind of U.S.-based uh, uh, general officers that we've had recently, there are a few that have been quite impactful um, beyond just the scope of their presidency. For example, Cesar Aburto, um, I think from Nicaragua and many years in the U.S., but from, from that background, I think some of her talks have been just fantastic and driving the conversation beyond just the scope of where she was serving. And uh, I don't know. Uh, it's great to see that uh, indeed. And I don't know um, Cesar Freeman as much. Cesar Rooney as the other counselor as well. But, but yeah, looking forward to what they, what they do. I did notice something. I wanted to ask a question. Uh, maybe I'm late to the game, but I did notice in their biography that Cesar Rooney, uh, I think she's the first counselor. She's referred to as a former mission leader and doesn't explain much. I was like, okay, so probably her husband was a mission president, but found it quite nice to see that, you know, they're not referring to she was the wife of you know, a mission president or the, you know, kind of described as an appendage to the husband in this particular case. And maybe that's a change that happened a long time ago and I just didn't notice. I went to the Church News uh, website and also the link to the mission president seminar. It's called Mission Leader Seminar now, kind of bringing... Um, Kind of uh, full parody on, on on leadership as as this joint mission leader group with the mission president and um, the mission leader spouse uh, on that. So is that new or maybe I'm just late to the game? Do you know? I don't know if it's new, but I think it's wonderful. I um, I, I also really like it that they're referring to the the presidents, um, even if they're female, as president. Um, I really like that subtle change which has happened in the last couple yeah. of years. I feel like at the moment the church are trying to do a lot to, I suppose, make men and women more equal. I suppose that's a really controversial topic which we probably won't go into too much, but I feel like steps are being made in the right direction and I I appreciate that. I, I really love what you said, Daniel, about the fact that it's now referred to um, – as a mission leadership mission seminar, yeah. I I feel like that subtle difference is is quite profound. 
It's powerful. And mm-hmm. I, I did go kind of down the rabbit hole, actually, when I noticed that I went to the, the latest uh, missionary handbook, you know, the one with the rules, the Biblia Blanca, so we'll call it in Spanish, colloquially, the white Bible, you know, mm-hmm. the, the white book with all the rules. And uh, there's a whole paragraph on this uh, that describes the mission leaders are the mission president and the, and the wife, you know, that, that's a unit. Mm-hmm. Right? And it starts off with that. And I don't remember reading that on the previous one. I might be wrong. It's been a oh, while. I don't remember break. that either. Yeah. Danny, so, so I think if it yeah. happened very recently, great. If it might have happened years ago and we just missed it and we're delighted uh, to see that. And to close on this one, just uh, an open question. You don't have to answer it, but uh, Sister Freeman, she's a, a, a public figure. She's a podcaster, an author known by many. I didn't know her much until she was called, but I saw a lot of people's responses to her calling as, as something very positive because they knew her. Yeah, I think there's a lot of advantages to that. Now, there might be another side to it, right? Which is, uh, you know, what's kind of the, the externalities of, of that? Um, uh, and, and I was thinking a, a very obvious one to me, at least, is the potential conflict of interest that might come when your career, you know, kind of your outside career, or at least a significant part of it as a public speaker on gospel-related things and you've written books, you have content that gets monetized, etc. Now, with this boost of becoming an official church officer, you know, all of that content gets a boost. I understand that she will stop doing that content now and focus 100% on the calling, but yet still you, you have that kind of uh, that content that was already created that will uh, still generate traffic. What what do you do with that? Is, is, is there a potential conflict of interest there or not? And if there is, is the solution to not call the scissors? Is there like, what, what do we do about it? Am, am I just overthinking this or do you think it has any merit on at least bringing it up? I mean, to be honest, at this point, I think from my perspective, it's just a recognition of the good work she's been doing all these years. You know, I mean, this shows that she's been doing quite of a powerful impact on what she's done and and which is why she was considered to be called. Right. And, and I think it's something that it's even more surprising because we know that there, there are authors in, in, in church related content that never get that, that let's say impactful callings or not necessarily. It's not because they're doing this, this will happen. So this surprising event of, of calling sister Freeman is just, uh, a way to, to say, okay, this person has done so much good with her content or, or with her work that uh, now as this new calling, uh, we're going to use all her knowledge, experience, and, 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 and service. Well, that, the- that playing devil's advocate, not devil's advocate, but kind of an angle to that very thing you're saying is like, okay, doesn't mean that the content she produced before does it acquire a, a new status? Because it was apocryphal, you know, in a sense, it's like ch- church adjacent and faith promoting, etc. But 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 unofficial, right? Does her yes. condition now, her her status now, bring it up to kind of more official level? And this is not the first case. We have Brad Wilcox, for example, who's been a general officer for a few years now as well, who has a decades long career as a public speaker, as a you know, writing books and doing all this type of stuff. And that, that's his full-time career pretty much, along with being a, a professor, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. So that, that's another case in which, I don't know. For me, the question, I don't have an, a full answer to the question. I, I see both the pros and the cons. 
Um, and I think it's good to be aware of the cons, but I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> I don't know, Georgia, yeah. any thoughts on that? <laughs> I actually don't have many, many thoughts on it. I haven't yeah. formulated it properly in my mind yet. I just, maybe this is a bit of a, like a cop-out answer, but do we believe in inspiration? Yes. Yeah. Therefore, she's the right person at the right time. And regardless of, of what her other work is. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that it was her because as someone who often feels a little bit out of touch with sort of cultural church things because I haven't been in it my whole life, I had actually heard of her before. So when they announced her name, it was it was a nice feeling to know who she was because I felt like there was a level of trust that was already there because I felt good um, listening to her, you know, her various things that she's talked about and whatnot. So that's my that's my perspective on it right, and that's great because the, the the other side like if we call a complete unknown for most people that that's also a cost right it's like we don't know them it's really difficult to establish a relationship like we ask like why are they even there yeah uh, and of course, we'll but yeah. but yeah it's an interesting thought and well uh we would love to know what the listeners think of and of course we wish the absolute best to uh sister freeman sister runia and sister spanos i hope i'm saying that right um I have a young woman daughter, you know, so it's in my best interest that they do a fantastic job and, and, and we're grateful for their service that started this week. So uh, next article, Danny, you want to throw one? <coughs> yes. Sorry. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Sorry. Church magazine subscriptions. <coughs> oh, whoa. <coughs> okay. Now available at no cost. Sorry, listeners, for this. <laughs> the news is I don't laughing. know what happened. I don't know what happened. Surprising for me, the the church magazines at no cost. I I don't know why. I just had never really thought about it before. But I feel like we're in uh, an age where we're going really digital. So it really surprised me that they decided to bring that that print publication to more members. I guess, um, and it's in a staggered way, isn't it? There are certain places that are getting that subscription before others, but then ultimately it will be available to all. Is that is that correct? But from what yes, I read, I, I, was, think, yeah. well, I, I think it's it will be a, a logistic nightmare if they would do it to the whole all world immediately all at once. Yes, but yeah. will it? So will I, people I think actually go for this? Hmm, it's a good question. So, well, for. For those that haven't read the article, yeah, basically all of uh, out of nowhere, so to speak, the, the church announced that all of the art, all of the church magazines, which there are three official ones, the Friend, um, I was going to say the New Era, but that's the old name um, for the Strength of Youth, the one for youth, and then the Liahona, or Liahona. How do you say it in, in English? Um, Liahona, I think. Liahona. Okay, that's good. Liahona. Um, don't don't quote me on that. But okay. I think so. <laughs> well, that's how we say it in, in Britain, I guess we can say. Uh, well, those three magazines now are available for free for everybody. And uh, it's a, I, I had the same thought, Georgia, that it's an interesting turn on, on a slightly different direction than the trajectory of many other things with things going digital, with Gospel Library, the recent addition of hymns to the to the um, kind of the, the Sunday services hymns on the on the church app to kind of facilitate using the phone rather than than physical hymn books. So now there's a big turn to start printing kind of uh, actual paper uh, again. But, uh, but I think Danny, I think it makes a lot of sense in in the following aspects. First of all, you've got an older population of the church that doesn't use any technology. 
So, I mean, we've seen it in our words, like uh, the older members asking for the manuals, uh, come and follow me, and the lejonas, right? I mean, they, they want their, their physical option, right? So that's one thing. And then you've got families that are preventing their kids from using technology in a, in a younger age. So, I don't know, having friends printed is another way to, to have a good experience on a regular basis, right? Or maybe you, you want to use one of the, I don't know, the activities there for the family home naming or or whatnot, right? And then you have for strength for, of the youth where you, you would have, I don't know, this magazines available physically at home so your kids can take them instead of uh, thinking that they will use them when they're using their computer or whatever. So it's, again, it's a way to... You know, bring these things more available, right? Or or available in all the possible in the omni-channel, you know, experience, yeah. right? Makes sense. I mean, you know, what we were talking about, and we were talking about it for a couple of months about uh, having Sunday programs uh, printed out, right? Which uh, many members, mostly on the older generations, uh, value a lot and ask for. And it's been difficult to kind of get get it done, but yeah, there's value in having physical things. And thanks for putting it that way. I hadn't first thought my, my thoughts went straight into the logistics, into cost, and into kind of these digital trends. But yeah, that's super interesting. I do have another angle to it as well. I want to know what you think. Is that um, church magazines are kind of within the spectrum of our canon, so to speak. You know, if we start with the very top canonical stuff, we have the Book of Mormon, the Bible, right, and from then we go to kind of uh, ancient and modern prophets' teachings and general conferences, like a, a continuum. Then church magazines probably come there, and then we have other things until we become kind of outside of the realm of official church content into more apocryphal and whatnot, you know, and so on and so forth. Now, uh, I, I felt like, you know, we're giving away for free something. I don't think there is any precedent to this other than the kind of church manuals, kind of part of the church curriculum that we do for free. Um, and now we're doing the magazines for free. Does it show a bit of a prior kind of, uh, does it shed any light into the priorities of, of our church leaders on what content we may want to have better access to, as opposed to, for example, we'll make the Bible and the, and the the Book of Mormon for free for every member, right? Everybody can get a quad now or a triple combination, whatnot. But instead, we're doing the magazines. Do you think there's any angle to that on, okay, we want to probably add, add an, an extra level of access and, and prioritization and readership to to this content? Um, or, or, or am I thinking too much again? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. Again, I don't have an answer. Um, I... I wonder if there's more to come. I wonder if there'll be some other announcement. They did restructure the way that the magazines were uh, printed a few years ago, right? Because they got rid of the enzyme and then they combined it into the Liahona. But I think the bottom line is I think they want more people reading the magazines. I can't, I can't see another reason why they would make them free other mm. than they want to increase the amount of people who are reading. Yeah. And, and I think also, I mean, after or during the pandemic, you know, we had this uh, family's self-reliance in, in terms of spiritual self-reliance, right? The capacity of families to to spiritually nourish themselves, right? So you've got the scriptures, you've got general conference, and then you've got the church magazines that are regular, right? They're monthly, you know, 
productions, right? Because of that, you will have families in the church having uh, monthly spiritual takes, right? Those that don't have social media will have this as a regular basis, right? Those that don't find themselves attracted to technology will have this anyway. So those that don't have access to YouTube or social media or whatever, right, will have in their houses for free, no excuse, right? Mm -hmm. The opportunity to read uh, church-related content that is spiritual, that is uplifting, and that is addressed to all the members of the family, right? If you have kids, you've got friends. If you have teenagers, you've got for strength of youth. And then if you have just adults, you'll have the Ahona. So again, it's a way of, of, of I think, prioritizing uh, spiritual, constant spiritual nourishment yeah. in, ch in church uh, families or individuals, right? That are members yeah. of the church. So and you know what? Uh, uh, something that I find quite nice about the magazines is that they go to places that usually we don't go to a lot on Sunday services or in our conversations. Like a lot of the the content that the church has put out regarding mental mental health and, and other tough topics uh, related kind of to, to that and, and other aspects. Those are generally very well covered and generally very prioritized in the magazines. And I'm thinking mostly on, on the Liahona, right, for adults, but also for, for the youth. So, uh, yeah, I, I think making that more accessible would be great for members. I hope people open it. I, I'm subscribed to... I think all of them, and sometimes there are months that they stay in the in the in the shrink wrap, <laughs> and they don't get open. So now it's it's, a, it's an invitation for me to actually read them, and and also for leaders at church and for members and teachers and all of that would be kind of easier to refer to that content as well. So um, yeah, I wonder if they may. I wonder if they may tweak the content slightly as well. Um, if they know that it's reaching a wider audience, if they may bring in more articles that they they want people to hmm. to read, or they may um, ask us to include certain parts of those articles in church meetings. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm yeah. just speculating. But um, this leads really nicely into the next um, piece of news that we have, actually, which is that there is a special edition of The Friend magazine, which is specifically concentrating on baptism and confirmation, which I think is is great. I think the more Uh, the more the the children know about baptism and confirmation, the more empowered they can be to make a decision on on whether they want to be baptized. I think it's it's fascinating that age eight is the age of accountability, and certainly in in sort of secular studies, um, having recently spoken to a psychologist about this, there are a lot of studies which show that by age of eight you can make your own decisions. There's a science behind it as well as a a spiritual um, justification for it, and I think it's it's brilliant that they've brought out this this new edition because I think it is an area where children need a lot of guidance and need to have those conversations. And I, I don't know; I've not reached that point yet with my own children, so maybe you have a, a perspective that I don't. But I think those conversations need to be had. Um, it's a huge decision, baptism. It's not one that you should enter into without serious thought. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that the exact fad, like I'm, I'm fully behind the our doctrine and our, our teachings regarding the age of accountability from a standpoint of what what are the very basics that we need to understand to make this commitment. Uh, but then from from a more kind of secular standpoint, sometimes I think eight year olds are quite young, right? 
are, are we really doing them a disservice by by well it is some, the minimum age you know yeah, you don't have exactly. to be baptized at eight you could be baptized later if, if it's not exactly, the right that's age thing, but, but do we allow ourselves in our church culture to to kind of give families, maybe parents, that space that maybe like, you know what, my child is just not ready and maybe they will get baptized later. And uh, do we introduce an element of judgment there and maybe questioning like, oh, why is that kid not baptized? I think there, there's a layer there that, that exists and it's quite real. But but I, I think that the fact that centrally the church is doing something about that, that ultimately helps everybody, everyone, not just the kids, but everybody take this covenant more seriously and be better prepared for it. I think I'm... 200% behind this. I'm really, really happy to see it. Danny, any thoughts? Yes. I mean, you were mentioning this and, and Giorgio was mentioning that it's the minimum age. And, and I totally agree. And I've seen it before, like people saying, my kid's not ready. We're going to wait as family. or, And I think that's that's what the church is about, right? I mean, sometimes we're just judgmental just because we know this is a standard or this is the way it has to be done. It's like going on a mission, right? You have to go when you're 19. Now it's when you're 18. And if you don't go, people start thinking, mm, maybe mm -hmm. something happened here. Uh, I don't know, right? Uh, yeah. It becomes suspicious about whichever reason. But I think it's just natural that some people will have different, you know, um, experiences and and people will maybe think things differently from us and it's okay it's just because it's not canon or it's not the way people traditionally have done it before it doesn't mean that it's bad so i mean uh in my perspective my oldest son was baptized uh, before we came to the u.s and i was happy to see that he was willing he was he felt himself ready we we asked him i mean we we didn't push him and hopefully in time he will value that right i mean he he did a covenant we were just teaching him what we think is best and uh that doesn't necessarily mean that we wanted him to do it just because it was his birthday or uh, in fact we had to delay it a little bit because uh we needed some more time uh, or, or something happened in, in the ward. I, I don't remember exactly what, but it wasn't in the same birthday day and it was okay. Right. And I remember my personal experience, I was baptized with another friend and she was nine. Right. And, and, and it was good because I mean, her family decided for whatever reason that was, and it was okay. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we need to be more aware that, people might have different takes or different experiences, personal experiences. And what's most, most important is if they're ready or not, not if they're complying with the age or with the social standard, but if they're ready to, to take on this covenant and, and this willingness to, to cry with others and to support others, right. And to be part of the. I wider. totally agree. And I think maybe, maybe I'm being a bit naive, but I do think that when the time is right, you you will know when it's right. For me, being baptized at age 20 was a brilliant thing for me because I needed to experience not being a member to know how precious being a member is for me. For someone else, their journey might look different. Maybe they need to be baptized at eight to sort of keep, keep their testimony alive. It might be completely different. But I think the, the ultimate thing that we need to do is to just respect that agency and to not be judgmental if it if you end up getting baptized if you're ready at age eight great if you end up being a bit later in life that's fine as well yeah 
And on that note, just my, my last comment is more of, of an anecdote. I was recently talking to, to someone that wants to get baptized on internet. I am uh, I'm delighted. I mean, a particular conversation, especially how eager and how from from this little person <laughs> this came and and how prepared they they felt right and I, and I could sense like yeah this person really really wants to do it and we should be supportive of that and I'm glad we have um, you know that our doctrine backs that up as well while at the same time preventing that that people too young are forced into that commitment right which is a kind of a, one of the major distinctions that from early on in in the restoration uh, differentiated our faith from from others as part of the restoration of all things like if you go to the book of mormon even right the first thing that jesus encounters after coming down and everybody like wow he's like okay you guys are arguing about baptism so <laughs> let's sort this out so it's always been kind of a multi-dispensation topic of discussion and yeah i'm just looking forward to this um special edition to come out and, and see what's in there and uh, I'm sure it's going to be great. Cool. Uh, we have time for, for a couple more, I think. Uh, the next one, um, th this is an, uh, a different one, more local to the to, to this region of the world. It's from Religions, Religion News Service. Uh, and it says, Irish Mormons face dwindling numbers, but researcher finds their community inspirational. So... Again, this is from a religious service, not, not a church. This is the first kind of non-church official article that, that we pick up on, and it's from last week. It's an interesting article um, on, on the experience of two wards, or two branches, I think, in, near Dublin in the Republic of Ireland, and how they operate, etc. And this is done by a, by a non-member researcher, uh, a sociologist, I think, that, that that had an interest in minority faiths that were not kind of uh, fr from a different non-Christian background. As you know, the, uh, the Republic of Ireland is highly Catholic, and there, there's kind of a commingling of both the national and religious identity uh, that sometimes, according to this researcher, uh, kind of makes kind of this monolithic assumption that all whites there are Catholic and kind of the non-Christian the, the non ones are from other ethnic groups that, that, uh, that, that are in, in Ireland. Whereas in, in this case, we, with our church, is a multi-ethnic, including kind of white Irish uh, members that, that are there, even though the church is, is quite small there. So it is an interesting article. Um, I don't know if you guys had uh, time to to go through it and, and see, see what you what you thought. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just going to say that the title seems a bit misleading. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but dwindling to me means kind of declining. Is that is that a right interpretation? Yeah. However, the article mentions that uh, um, church, mem church members on record have actually increased over the last ten or so years. And attendance has remained flat, so that there was no indication that there's, there's a dwindling. So, like, okay, uh, probably need a better word there to describe it, but but it does talk about the reality of a of a church that is small, you know, with with small numbers. In one ward had seventy people attending, other others had thirty, and and also highlighted some um, I don't know if resentment what was the word that they they used there, but some members that felt that being lumped with the UK, with the, with the rest of the United, the, the British Isles, you know, it's a complex history there, uh, being lumped there, they, they didn't feel that, that that was, you know, something they were happy with. And even from a mission standpoint, Ireland, the Republic of Ireland is part of the Scotland-Ireland mission, which includes Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Ireland. And because of the 
the, the, the long conflict there. Um, some members were not happy with it. Um, any thoughts on it? I, I think it's always nice to do a deep dive on these very local stories. And I don't know what you guys thought. Yeah, I, the thing that jumped out to me is that a, a non-religious scholar decided to study our religion. I thought that was really cool um yeah. that she had had made that decision to to do that so um that was the thing that jumped out to me and then uh just looking at yeah the 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 congregations i think there were some some valuable insights about what it's like to be a member outside of a place where there's a high density of members um a lot of it resonated with me i mean our congregation daniel is is reasonably the same size as one of the yeah. congregations that was studied there. Um, and I think there are huge benefits to, to being in an area with a, a low population density of members of, of the church. I think we really have to choose to go to church every Sunday. You know, no, nobody's watching us. Um, we can go, or we can not go. We have to be very intentional about our faith. And we, we really stand um, as, aside from, What's that phrase? Like we're not in the grain. Do you know what I mean? I, I can't mm, think of the right phrase. <laughs> we go against the grain. That's the oh, phrase. Okay. We mm. go against the grain by being members here, um, which I think strengthens our faith, or at least it, it does for me. So that article was was kind of a, a nice one to read. Yeah, and of all places, you know, one that that you know it's a very specific with a very specific kind of set of circumstances that you know have some nuances that we might just not think about. Kind of, kind of national conflict and, and and other things, so that was very good. We're happy that um, you know our faith gets the attention of research outside of just our own little Mormon studies cohort. Um, so yeah, happy to move to the next one. Danny, do you have one? Been a bit silent on this. One. Yes, yes, we've got one related to South America, right? President of Peru joins faith leaders in prayer, right? Um, interesting take. I mean, I think in general, church. Or church PR has done a wonderful job uh, uh, related to governments and related to to political leaders. I, I think this neutral st standpoint of the church helps us a lot because I mean we belong to I mean we live in countries and and we have uh, the effects, the positive and negative of, of living in different countries and of course uh, being led by different leaders or, or presidents. So it's important. For, for from a church perspective that we've got good relations with all of them right N no matter which color or which uh, political party they come from and and the fact that uh, church members right uh, can be a positive influence in countries is just a good um, uh, let's say um, kind of it's it's a good way to represent the church in whichever place right be part and of that. Yeah. I'm not familiar with this story. Can you can you tell me more about what's actually happened? So yeah, uh the um, in Peru, I think it's part of their their national festivities, kind of independence uh festivities in Peru, they hold a national day of prayer and I think they've been doing it for the last two or three years. And the actually the church has hosted this event for the last two at least. I know that last year they actually hosted it in the temp in temple grounds. I didn't check on the article here if it was the same case. But, for example, last year they they did it with a number of other faiths and government officials came and then they, they do this kind of multi-faith event where they pray for the country. And um, one, one interesting tidbit about this event last year is that 
or maybe two years ago, is that they had a projection of the Lima Peru temple, kind of light light projections, and one of the signs projected onto it was a, a cross, a Roman cross, you know, kind of the, more related to the tradition of Catholicism or, or other Christian faiths rather than ours. But we've kind of stepped away from that over the last few decades. And and I remember there were articles kind of talking about that. Oh, this is the first time that we see a cross in a temple, you know, in an LDS temple. Um, but yeah, so that, that happened this week as well. And I think the, the country president, Dina Boluarte, was there. Um, so you can't get very much higher than that when you're kind of hosting an event uh, for government officials and religious uh, leaders. And, and I think that there, there's some interesting interesting takes to this. I, I, I agree with you, Danny. I think it's good that the church is actively taking part on this conversations and and kind of looking at, after the interests of our faith community and other faiths as well and the overall you know, you know the community i mean if, if 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 we don't do this we don't exist right for countries i don't know the census will not ask people if they're lds or not for instance right mm-hmm. so i mean uh, we we have to be actively and and we've been invited to do so right if we think that we have an opportunity or or we have the intention to be politically active then we might do it as well as a way of representing our, our values and, and, and the way we, we see things and, and the way we, we want places to be or to become. Right. And I think it's, it's relevant, it's useful. And especially in countries like Peru or Chile, where there's a high density population of members of the church, it's just a good idea to be actively involved in these kinds of things. And of course, to, to, promote right interreligion uh, experiences where uh, leaders of the church are representing uh, our faith and, and our values and our, our yeah. doctrine. I think that, that cross-faith collaboration I, I'm really supportive of and I, I, it makes me happy. I think having grown up in the 90s, you know, where I, I still feel back then we had kind of more of an antagonistic view of other faiths and I'm glad we're <laughs> yeah. hopefully past that for the most part. I do think there is an angle to this that uh, it's it's good to be cognizant of, or at least mindful, is that you know when you kind of put yourself out there for uh, to be with government leaders, especially when you know uh, some of them might be uh, have some sort of controversy attached to them. And, and I don't know the details about Dina Boluarte in Peru, but I do know that it's been quite a um, a difficult last few years in Chile in terms of government stability, etc. She was the vice president of the previous president and she took over after he was ousted and and there's been protests and uh, accusations of police brutality and things like that you know so when we associate to like it's not costless it's not for free you know that there's a potential cost associated to um associating sorry for the redundance to to some government officials and i I don't need to give other examples but i think we can all think of (laughs) a, a few examples from many many countries where that might be uh, tricky, right? But there's probably like when you do the the, the cost benefit analysis, the, there's probably a, a, a big benefit to that. A big one, for example, six years ago or so was when the Tabernacle Choir went and sang at Donald Trump's inauguration, right? That was very complex for many people for obvious reasons that we don't need to delve into here. But I wonder sometimes if if we're doing enough due diligence on some of kind of the associations that we enter into. But having said that, um, I'm supportive of it. I, I don't think we should live in isolation, right? We live in a world that is complex with, with leadership that is complex. But those are all my thoughts on that. I think we have time for 
Maybe one more before we wrap up because we don't want to go over too much. So, Georgia, since you are our guest today, do you want to share one last? Yeah, I I would love to share that this week is the beginning of the British pageant, Ooh. which I am going to assume that the listeners know what a pageant is. I didn't until a couple of years ago, but it's essentially a show. And the British pageant tells the story of the early saints. And it's an absolutely fascinating, faith-promoting uh, show. It has some wonderful music and a wonderful narrative. And there's such a rich history of the saints in the UK, which would be uh, would fill the time in another podcast, I'm sure. Um, but they're actually going to be live streaming it. Um, which has never been done before for a pageant, because I know there, there have been various pageants in various places over the years. But on the 11th of August, there'll be a live stream, which I think is really interesting. And it speaks um, to our previous point about getting our name out there and trying to be a part of the wider community. And I know in some of the posters for pageant that I've seen online and, and also in person, they have targeted them to people who aren't members of our faith and who don't attend our congregations and they've invited them to to come along and to to learn about about this this pocket of of the earth and and what happened here almost 200 years ago that's great yeah and where I, where, where, where is it uh, how many people does it involve on average oh, can, can you tell me huge scale um production so it's in the grounds of the preston temple so we've got two temples here we've got one uh, south of London and Preston, which is in Northern England. And uh, yeah, it's in the grounds of the temple. They have a big marquee. I think I heard, don't quote me on this, but I think it's the biggest marquee in Europe currently or so something like that, uh, wow. that I, that I heard in one of the promotional videos. And I think they're hoping, you know, for thousands of people to attend. Um, yeah, wow. I think I, uh, I'll join the live stream. I won't be able to be there in person, unfortunately. I did get an invite because they're doing like an early showing, again, kind of a, <clears throat> a, a diplomatic one with government officials and things like that. And I think the Chile ambassador is going. So they reached out to some Chilean members. If they can make it. And I, I got note of that too late, so I, I can't. But, um, but yeah, it's huge. I, I've only been to one of this when the Naboo pageant was still a thing. I, I don't think it, it, it exists anymore. Because back then there were like about a dozen different pageants around the world that were official church events. And I think this is one of the few surviving ones. The other one might be Manta, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know about the rest. But yeah, it's yeah. a huge undertaking. And, and people really take pride on, on kind of this local event, but with an impact on the church worldwide. Because the British Isles really fed, you know, on the early decades of, of church history, really, really fed our church membership with converts that migrated from here. The US. Yeah, I have yeah. a statistic on that actually. Nearly half of the population of Utah in 1870 were British immigrants. So it just well, shows well, how yeah. many people moved yeah. over. And Queen Victoria actually um, noticed that so many people were, were leaving we're this leaving. country and, and heading over to cross the plains that she, she made a comment on it. Um, she was given a, a copy of the Book of Mormon by, uh, by missionaries who came over, Queen Victoria. Huh? Well, that's, really that's, cool. that's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. I have an, a, an interesting, I mean, what is happening here is that, and this pageant, pageant uh, uh, here we've got something that is called Trek, which is also a representation of the pioneers uh, walking through the plains. 
and this happens every four years, but because of the pandemic, it's been five years since the last. And then the state where I am right now in Albany, uh, Albany State in New York, uh, they're, they're having it also this week, right? It's the 10, the 11, and the 12th. And it has a whole structure of, of moss and pass. They're in church of, of hand carts, and they're, they're with, with uh, young men and young women that are assigned, and they enroll uh, 14-year-olds onwards and and it's very interesting and they they will have something a final congregation where they're going to get into a final stage on the 12th and we've been invited as members of the stake to to be there and to see how they finish and they wrap it up and the younger young men and young women are also invited that saturday morning to walk the last miles where they reach like the salt lake valley or, or or a representation of it so i think all these uh, efforts to 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 recognize uh, our pioneer history and I mean even Danny UK and myself I mean our parents were were pioneers Georgia you're a pioneer because you you became a member of the church so you have your own story behind it and and it's important to recognize it and to portray it in a way that is. Uh, it helps uh, your your kids and, and others around you resonate on, on how interesting or challenging or whatever we want to call it was. So uh, it's I think it's useful. It's funny, of course, because they, they wear all these pioneer clothes, you know, <laughs> and, and it's funny to see them dressed uh, 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 like As wearing clothes. As an outsider, clothes. that just seems so bizarre, but... <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> you know, of course. If it's I, I get it. I get it. then why not? But... <laughs> It's yeah, just and, fun. They walk, and they walk the miles, you know. I mean, they actually walk all these miles. They have a standard uh, bucket where they put all their belongings. No cell phones, no technology. I mean, it's the whole the whole experience for three days for this kid. So, I've never heard any of the kids that have done it before uh, something bad about it. I mean, it was like a good experience for them, and because it doesn't happen that frequently, also gives the chance to once in your youth days yeah to 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 have that experience and i mean funny fact my in-laws are here now are visiting us from chile so i'm i'm looking forward taking them and myself seeing it right because i haven't seen it before so i think it it will be a very nice experience uh Mm. in 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 the in the overall uh experience as a church member so yeah yeah i'm happy Absolutely. And uh, I personally think that all of these expressions of uh, celebration at a local or maybe regional level, like the British pageant, or as you were mentioning, uh, Trek, we embrace those, we support those, uh, they are uh, part of our peculiarity as a people, right? And, and we wish all the best to those participating in these different places. Also, Georgia, uh, thank you very much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. And you can find us on social media, on Twitter, or is is it Twitter or is it X? Or do we actually know (laughs) what that thing is called? (laughs) um, Anyway, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and especially on contact at thisweekmormons.com. That's how you reach us if you have any suggestions, comments, questions. Um, Maybe you didn't like something you heard today. Let us know and we'll be happy to read your comments. And don't forget to find us on Patreon as well, where we're headed now to record that exclusive segment. And see you all there. Take care. Until the next one. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.